Welcome, perfect stranger. My name is Valérie. I see myself as a nomad with deep roots. I'm fascinated by our cultural differences and at the same time by what we all have in common. The more I meet people from diverse backgrounds, the more I learn about myself and the world. In this podcast, I would like to give you the opportunity to experience it by stepping in somebody else's shoes for a moment. Hello, perfect stranger. I have a question for you. Do you think we can get along? Today I've decided to speak about a book that I just read. It's an interesting subject in connection to my podcast. So the title of the book is The Righteous Mind, and it's by Jonathan Head, a scientist who studies moral psychology. So the first sentence of his book is a question. Can we get along? And it refers to Rodney King, a black man who was nearly beaten to death by four police officers in L.A. in 1991. At the end of the trial, the jury didn't charge the policeman. And after that, days of riots and violence followed. And at a certain point, Rodney King, who was interviewed, said, I quote, Please, we can get along here. We all can get along. I mean, we are all stuck here for a while. Let's try to work it out. So the question the author tried to answer in this book is, why is it hard to get along? Morality is what allowed humans to build civilization, but humans are not only moral, they are also moralistic and judgmental. And that's what the author calls righteous mind. This allows us to produce large cooperative groups outside of family bonds, but, well, it comes at a cost. So, first, to understand how we work, it uses a very good image, the rider and the elephant. Imagine that the elephant is our intuition and the rider is our reasoning. You have to be aware that intuitions come first and reasoning comes second. I know it, I know it might be a big disappointment for the ones who might think that they always use their reason to make decisions in their life, but well, that's not how it works. Intuitions are not all bad, you know. They help us make hundreds of quick judgments and decisions every day. Our brain works very fast, it evaluates constantly, we find ourselves liking or disliking something even before we know what it is. And different experiments have shown that when we try to decide what we think about something, we look at how we feel. So they've seen that persons who have had brain damage and can't use their intuition anymore and only their reason, they can't function properly in societies, are not able to have a normal everyday life anymore, which really proves that intuitions are essential for us. So I have a question. If you want to change someone's mind about a moral or political issues, who should you talk to? The elephant or the rider? Yes. Of course, the elephant. 
If you ask people to believe something that violates their intuitions, they will devote all their efforts to find a way out. And, well, they will almost always succeed. So when does the elephant listen to reason? The main way to change our minds on moral issues is by interacting with other people. We are terrible at seeking evidence that challenge our own beliefs, but other people can do that for us. You have to be aware that when discussions are hostile, the odds for change are small. But if there is affection, admiration, or a desire to please the other person, then there is room for change. You may think of us as intuitive politicians. Our moral thinking is much more like a politician searching for votes than a scientist searching for truth. I know, you are still disappointed. Well, imagine that for millions of years, our ancestors' survival depended upon their ability to get small groups to include them and trust them. So the innate drive is to get others to have a good opinion of us. You know, only a few animals have become ultra-social. You can think about ants and bees, for example. But when you think of chimps, it's incredible because they are maybe the second smartest species on the planet, able to make tools, learn sign language, predict the intentions of other chimps, and deceive each other. But they don't work together. So John and I hate said we are 10% bees and 90% chimps. We are at the same time very selfish and very groupish. Imagine humans thousands and thousands of years ago, when everybody in a group began to share a common understanding of how things were supposed to be done for the interest of the group. Then... They developed a flash of negativity when any individual violated those expectations. And that's how the first moral matrix was born. Groups are good for us because they improve our chances for survival and they make us less selfish. And yes, religions have been a very efficient way to produce cohesiveness and trust in groups. The problem is that if morality binds... It also blinds. Once you accept the norms and the moral foundations of a group, you are blind. You don't question them anymore. Decades of research in public opinion have shown that if you want to predict somebody's policy preferences, you should not look at his self-interest, but at his group. People care about their group. And that is why we sometimes get the impression that they vote against their own interests. So how does it work? When we want to believe something, we ask ourselves, can I believe it? Then we search for supporting evidence, and if we find even a single piece of pseudo-evidence, we can stop thinking. We now have permission to believe. We have a justification in case anyone asks. The same goes if we don't want to believe in something. And imagine nowadays with the internet, it's so easy. You can go and search for your belief and you are sure to find at least some pieces of information, an image, somebody who share your belief. And it's what we call confirmation bias. 
you will look for things that confirm what you want to believe and you won't see the things who say the contrary. And that's how conspiracy theories can flourish also. So we love to join teams, clubs, leagues, you name it. We work with stranger without problems and we even invent a lot of ways to show our membership. You can imagine that all the group has the same scarf or hat or the same tattoo and you can even give an orange t-shirt, whatever, it works. Because the thing is, we trust and cooperate more easily with people who look and sound like us. We expect them to share our values and norms. And so, you know, every science that shows that you are part of the same group, people just love it. So if you want people to work together, you have to emphasize what they have in common, not their differences. But at the same time, you want some diversity because, as the philosopher Bertrand Russell writes, every community is exposed to two opposite dangers, ossification through too much discipline and reverence for tradition, on the one hand, on the other hand, dissolution or subjection to forest conquest through the growth of an individualism and personal independence that makes cooperation impossible. If you want to write new policy, for example, you want to find people who are different on the political spectrum. The problem, the author says, is that in the last 40 years in the US, the division between Democrats and Republicans have worsened. Nowadays, counties and towns are becoming increasingly segregated into lifestyle bubble in which voting and eating, working and even worshipping are increasingly aligned. So the different groups have less and less opportunities to meet. I have to say I have... That's exactly the impression I have where I live in my neighborhoods and town, that everybody is a little bit the same. And I personally don't like the fact that my children are not exposed to the diversity of society. So if you want to understand another group, don't forget that we are all driven by our intuition and moral foundations. Try to figure out which of our moral foundations is the most important in a particular issue for these persons. And if you are ready to open your mind, open your heart first and try to begin with a friendly interaction. So to summarize, evolution has turned us into ultra-social beings because it was a very good way to survive and thrive. To be able to live in groups, we had to build trust and cohesion. The moral foundations we developed have secured the respect of norms and the control of free riders. Unfortunately, we are not wired to love every human being, but to care for our group. Our intuition drives us, and our reasoning serves more as a post-justification of our actions and beliefs. So we should never forget that when we try to reach out. And if you want to learn more about our six moral foundations... You should read the book because it's very complete. I really welcome any comment or question. 
My email is perfectstrangerslikeyouandme at gmail.com. So don't hesitate. And meanwhile, I hope you will try to reach out to other people who are different from you to try to begin a conversation and find common grounds. Take care. Bye.